Amen. Good to have a seat, church. Uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. We're going to be uh, in Acts chapters 18 and 19 today. So if you have a Bible, Bible app, go ahead and get them warmed up today. And we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, the indwelling power and presence of God. And uh, we're going to do it in dramatic fashion in the sense that uh, we're going to treat it like it was a play. I'm going to tell you three. We're going to picture it as a, 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 a drama in three acts. And uh, no, no pun on the fact that we're in acts. Just three acts, okay? Uh, so we'll do act one, scene one, um, act two, scene one, act three, scene one, okay? Um, we've had Grease, the musical, on this stage. In fact, we'll be back this afternoon. Uh, so I came inside on Friday night. And one of the things about Greece, I hadn't really considered if there was a deep moral message to Greece, because really Greece is about just kind of like having fun and, and kind of parodying what high school life was like back in the late 60s, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, this time around, when I saw it, I've never seen the stage musical, I've seen the movie, uh, but, but watching the stage musical, one of the things that occurred to me was the plot line, if those of you who've never seen it or whatever, uh, you've got this young couple who who dated or something else in the summer before they show up at high school. And then she shows up to his high school, and he's kind of a, oh, you know, a leather jacket, white T-shirt wearing, slicked hair uh, guy. And, and she shows up, and she's prim, and she's proper. She wants to continue to date him. She thinks they're going to pick up right where they left off. Not so. Uh, he's kind of running with a bad crowd, and so there's a lot of pressure applied to Sandy. That's Olivia Newton-John's character in the movie. Uh, he's Danny um, in, in Zuka, uh, in the musical. And so the, the musical kind of takes its shape with everybody trying to pressure Sandy into conforming to their way of life. Uh, the smoking, the sex, the different things that go on. Sandy, you know, look, you're never going to get anywhere if you keep acting like that. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be a square, you know, as I say or whatever. And they just kind of keep doing this. Now, it's fun, right? They got these epic songs in there that you kind of, that kind of stick him in your head and, and everything. And you know, my poor family, my daughter's in the show, uh, so that's one reason to come see it. But the other, the other piece of it is it's just fun. I mean, it's one of those musicals that, despite it being a little risque in certain places, is just fun to, to watch. It's entertainment, right? One of the bad things about being married to me is that it's hard to go to a movie or something without me trying to theologically analyze the production, right? So, but I couldn't help but think, Really, the message of it at the end is, you're never going to get the guy unless you change who you are to fit who they want you to be. And you know what? That's not good. That's not good. Um, and I also thought, you know, what a metaphor for life, right? That, that we can pressurize people. We can influence them, put pressure on them, make fun of them, mock them, call them names, make them feel bad about who they are. Or we can be on the receiving end of that. And so we give people a choice. You can either, like in Greece, we can, we can make them feel like, hey, if you don't mind just horrifying abject loneliness, feel free to stay who you are. But if you want to be, you know, like us, then come do these things. And we like to look and say, yeah, kids really do struggle with that as adults, as though we don't. We haven't tried to keep up with the Joneses. Like, we don't try to imitate our peers, we don't experience the same kinds of pressures when we find out, hey, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here volunteering at church on Sunday, and you look through Instagram, and you see your friends out at the San Diego Wine and Food Festival, or whatever the case may be. I'm saying to you this, you don't have to change to be like them. But the Holy Spirit says, 
if you'll change to become like Jesus, then you will know power in your life like you cannot imagine. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time your TV ran out of battery? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, the reason it doesn't is because it's plugged into an ongoing power source, right? Uh, and the TV takes a certain amount of voltage. You plug that into the wall, and the, wa and the wall is supposed to supply the right amount of voltage. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who live in California, how many of you have ever experienced a brownout? Put your hand in the air. Yeah, I was going to say. If you don't, you're not from California. You're here visiting us. They are a way of life, especially in the summer. And those exist when the supply of power is not adequate to the demand for power. All right, so if we want to use this as a metaphor for life. And if we want to go and say, okay, there are going to be times and moments where a great power supply and demand is going to be asked of you. You're going to face something going on, and if you're not doing it right now, you may this week. Life is going to call great things out of you. It's going to demand a lot of power, a lot of energy, a lot of spiritual strength and fortitude. And if the Holy Spirit is not driving that, then you can have what is the equivalent of a spiritual brownout at key moments. Now, in Acts, when you get there, they're, they're, again, I'll use act in the dramatic fashion and then the book of Acts as well. In Act 1, scene 1, we get introduced to a man by the name of Apollos. So in story one, story two, story three, the message is really the same. The Holy Spirit's power is what is necessary to live out the kind of life that God envisions us, to experience the transformation that God uh, expects of us and wants for us, and to have the fortitude, the strength, the courage to walk boldly on his behalf and to go live the kind of life that he envisions. So we meet this fellow by the name of Apollos, and we're told he's brilliant, he's eloquent, he gives a fierce, he's mighty in the scriptures, it says, uh, and fervent in spirit. Now, the Greek word there is, means boiling. He's boiling in spirit. This guy's zealous, and he's eloquent, and he's smart. But there's a couple that uh, hears him teach, and though he doesn't say anything wrong, they feel like there's something missing. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. And they hear Apollos, and they go, you know what? This guy is something else. He's great. He's smart. He's eloquent. He's this and that and the other, but there's something missing. So they kind of go up to him and they interview him after the fact, and we find out that Apollos was baptized into the baptism of John, it says, which John the Baptist is who it's being referred to, and they say, and John the Baptist came and said, hey, I baptize you for the forgiveness of sins, for repentance, but the one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Apollos, uh, in Acts 18, 27 to 28, um, he goes on after kind of encountering the, the whole knowledge of the Holy Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. In Acts 18, 27, 28, it says, uh, when he arrived, and you know, so he leaves and goes to Achaia, when he arrived, he greatly helped to those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So what did they said to him that seems to tweak his teaching? When, it, when the text says that they taught him the way of the Lord more accurately, what does that mean? Let's hang on to that because it's about to get answered, but that question. So he takes off, goes to Achaia, lands there, does great work. Meanwhile, Paul, about the same time, shows up in Ephesus. And there he finds some disciples. Check this out. So this is right where Apollos is left. Acts 19, 2-7. Paul says to them, it says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
And they said, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Who's that? What's that? And Paul said, it's not a what, it's a who. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. So did you hear that? He asked them if they received the Holy Spirit when they believed, and they go, we didn't even know there was one. You know, listen, a lot of you are very new to the faith in this room. And my prayer is, first of all, you're, you're not going to grow up in the faith in this church and not have heard of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in us. He's around us too, but he's also in us. And so the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts is the driving force. It's, it's accessed through a submission of oneself to the gospel of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit then empowers the church, empowers believers to do uncommon things. That with the surrender of the person to the will of God, then the transformation by the Holy Spirit begins to take place. Paul talks about it all over the place. Paul experienced it in his own life. If you go to Galatians, he kind of holds up two types of life. He goes, look, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're, they're like this. Now, fits of rage and greed. And we'll, we can just go on down the list in our own lives, right? You got selfishness. You got, you got apathy. You've got... Uh, you know, just, I mean, we can certainly say fits of rage in our culture. We're experts at that. Uh, got a PhD, should start our own college and that stuff. And then you just keep going down the list. And then he says, yeah, but, but, but the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, sounds good, doesn't it? Peace, huh. patience goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He said, that's what life in the Spirit looks like. That, when the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life, where they go. That's the, who they become. And throughout Acts, you see it in the life of Paul, right? He goes from being the great persecutor of the church to the great, greatest Christian missionary in human history. You see the transformation in him. You see it in the Apostle Peter. The transformation that happens by the power of the Spirit. And so when, they're, when their knees are knocking and they're fearful, they pray that God would send them the Holy Spirit, and he breaks through. So the question then becomes, okay, even, even for Apollos, who's, who's brilliant and educated and smart and eloquent and all that stuff, there's still something missing. Priscilla and Aquila see it. Paul recognizes it in the believers. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so he introduces them to them. Well, so Paul then baptizes these folks. They get up, they start exploding, like most of the church does in those early days. Act 2. Acts 19, Paul goes about Ephesus doing great things in the name of Jesus through the Spirit's power. He turns out almost like a, he comes across like a modern-day Elvis. Some of you are old enough to remember Elvis, the big fat one in the 70s. And he just kind of passed his prime, and he would sweat like crazy, and he would wipe his brow 
and his face with these handkerchiefs and throw them into the crowd. And people would trample each other trying to get their hands on these things. Paul, this, here's what it says. Acts 19, 11, and 12. He's not Elvis, but that was the image that comes to mind. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So even when he, you know, his handkerchiefs, I don't know if they were used, you kind of get the sense from the context that maybe people kind of broke into his house or something, swiped them, or he, if he left something behind, they would grab it and take it to their sick aunt or niece or whoever, and, and the people were being healed by just being touched by a handkerchief that had just touched Paul. What kind of power is that? What kind of power is that? I mean, people look around and they're amazed, and this is often the case, they want to imitate Paul. The problem is they don't want the Jesus that gives Paul the power. They want Christ-like power, Holy Spirit power, without Jesus, which is not an option. So what they decide they're going to do, and it says uh, in Acts 19, this is slightly funny, I have to admit. It says this in Acts 19, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Listen to that. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them and said, this is awesome, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? That is amazing. <laughs> Jesus I know, the evil spirit inside of him goes, yeah, Jesus and Paul I know, who are you? You know what it's like to try and tackle a major spiritual force with nothing? It's like David fighting Goliath without God. It's like you fighting the greatest battles of your lifetime with nothing but hope. You know what? Hey, I declare that by the power of the God that my friends worship, I'm going to get through this. I declare by the power of the God that I, I used to worship when I was 10 that this is going to get done. God, we're not even calling on firsthand, trying to access the power of God without God. It's not an option. The power of the gospel, the power of Christ is for those who belong to Christ. And so what happens is this guy jumps out and it says, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. It's kind of funny, though. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So they don't just get ridiculed or like, who are you? The man jumps on them, whoops all seven of them, and they leave naked and wounded. And so then what is, does, does the town get the message? They actually seem to. What happens next is pretty awesome. The result is the fear of the Lord comes over the city. People come forward confessing witchcraft. Woo! So there was a lot of evil in there, right? They come forward confessing their witchcraft, and they burn their spell books out in the middle of the town. And not just like one or two guys had it. They bring them out by the piles. Spell books. And they burn them right there. 
Now, that remarkable story, again, kind of has two prongs to it. The first is that God isn't going to allow anybody to co-opt his mission by using it for their own ends. Right? So, so the advice there is to not go into spiritual conflict claiming a power you don't have. Trying to access the power of God, thinking you have it by the power of God, when you don't really belong to his son. That God doesn't allow people to just kind of co-opt gospel-sized power by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that God isn't going to allow us or anybody else to just profit from it, peddling God's name as some sort of way to gain. Now, we might go, well, I would never do that or whatever, but, but kind of the 21st century modern way of casually doing that as a Christian is kind of going about living a very worldly life, not actually surrendered to the gospel, but kind of using God as some sort of, uh, you know, a, a multivitamin or a, a, a guy that you thank when, while you're living out your worldly existence, um, you don't get caught, uh, that you experience a lot of blessing in your life, and so you kind of tip your cap to him. You give him a nod. Well, what's up? Like this guy. In Germany, they have those speed cameras. And they, what they do there is they have to do two things. They have to get your license plate, but then they need a photo of the driver to see who was driving the car and verify that. Well, this moment, this pigeon swoops down and it blocks the dude's face. So the German authorities cannot find out who's driving the car, and thus he can't get the ticket. I mean, the odds of this happening, by the way, are astronomical, that the thing would fly down in just the nick of time, its wing flap would be right there blocking his face. So instead of getting the ticket, he gets a free pass. Here's what the police say. <laughs> the Holy Ghost must have had a plan. not a dove, it's a pigeon, uh, I guess. But they go, the Holy Ghost, now they're, they're joking, right? They're being cheeky. Uh, but have you ever watched somebody who, who's really not devoted to the Lord say something like that? Say to themselves, oh, you know, hey, thank the Lord that this and that and the other happened. Well, if I, you know, if God hadn't been there, you know, I would have I I not gotten the promotion. Like, like, there's some, like he's a cosmic dove there to put his wing over your face. He's not. He's not. The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is a force no one can reckon with. He is the one that produces the transformation of the human heart, the transformation of the human will, the courage that it takes to be bold in the face of life-threatening opposition. It is not, it is not just there to wink and smile and endorse our worldliness. He is there when we are surrendered to his son to give us uncommon power, uncommon energy, to give us the ability to be the people that he thinks we can be. He knows we, the people he created us to be, the energy, the power, the resilience, the fruit, all of that comes from that source. He isn't, he isn't a Hallmark movie. It's the very indwelling power and presence of God. And if he had one wish for you, I mean, he's so powerful that Jesus says in John 16, it's good I should go. Because until I go, you can't receive the Spirit. He will not come to you until I leave. 
He, that, you understand how mind-blowing that is? That it's greater than having Jesus walking around you, in the midst of you, to have Jesus alive in you, inside you, burning in you, producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Or to quote 2 Timothy 1.7 when he's talking to a very timid young man who he loves greatly. The spirit that God put in us is not one of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. And so that then becomes characteristic of the church. What should the church look like? It should look like the Holy Spirit is breaking out in human lives. It should look like the boldness you see in Paul. It should look like what you see in the courage of the Apostle Peter and people willing to go ahead and keep preaching the gospel, even in the face of life-threatening opposition, even at the cost of one's life, if need be. Doing it along with the fruit of the Spirit being born in, in life. So it's not a big anger fest. It's the truth and love. I mean, every age has its charlatans. In Acts chapter 8, earlier, we didn't talk about this one in this series, uh, but a man named Simon tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from the apostles. He makes them a cash offer. And here, just like there, the exorcist can tell the power is in whatever Paul has. And Paul, of course, was saying it's in the name of Jesus, so they know it's in the name of Jesus. They were right to believe that that's where the power was. But they were wrong to try and co-opt it in the name of Christ for their personal use or think you can get the power of the Christ without the indwelling of the Christ. That's not possible. And so whoever is hearing today, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, the power is in the Christ. It's in the gospel of Jesus that's where the power is. If you want to see your life turned upside down, if you want to see your family changed, there's only one way for that to happen, and that is in the power of Jesus, in the gospel. That's why we keep saying it, and we keep saying it, and we keep saying it, and you come back Sunday after Sunday and go, yeah, I heard that last week. I hope so. I hope so. You should hear it every week. It's about Jesus, and it's not just about, okay, intellectual assent to Jesus. No, 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 no. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus, who then transforms us by his grace with the full force of the power of God himself, and that sets us on mission to go forth and do what he put us on this earth to do. It doesn't happen today, the, the, the you know, uh, charlatans and stuff. It's not with handkerchiefs and aprons touched by his followers. Now it happens as people confess Jesus is Lord and are baptized confessing their sins, and figuratively speaking, in our church, they take their spell books out, and we burn them in the Pacific together. That's where it happens, and we confess, you know what, I was this, but you've made me this. I was this, but Jesus is going to make me that. You know what, and when you run into your friends, and you want to tell them what your faith is about, don't just tell them about New Vintage Church. You tell them. You tell them about the Savior who, who, who died and gave his life for you. That's where the power is, right? And so all we are here. We're a collection of people who believe that. We are a collection of people who have said, we are surrendered to the gospel of Jesus. We are willing and laying our lives on the altar daily to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and our souls. And then we are people who are serious about taking the mission of God seriously in this world. And we will tell everybody we can about it. We will do whatever we can to be heard. We will try to win people over. And we will try to... to, to um, 
to be eloquent when we need to be. We will try to be humble when we should and bold other times, all those kinds of things. We're going, we want to be who God wants us to be. But there's no option of doing that apart from the Holy Spirit. None. Even Apollos, who was far smarter and better than anybody in this room, I'm quite confident of that. There's still something missing. Priscilla and Aquila saw it. And there's something missing when people go up thinking that they can beat the great devils of the day with nothing but uh, dreams. Uh, I can just go up and say, hey, by the power of my parents, faith. No. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, how then do we lead a spirit-filled life? Surrender. It starts there. Transformation. Empowerment. You know those people that their cell phone's almost always out of battery? I mean, if you know, <laughs> if you know somebody like that, where it's, uh, their phone is always 20% or less, put your hand in the air. Let me see how many you know. Do you know anybody like that? Or if it's you, know thyself. All right, there we go. All right, uh, I tend to be on the other side of the spectrum, a little obsessive. If my phone gets below about 80%, I start looking for a charger. Uh, same with gas in the tank. Anybody else know anybody? A friend who leaves their gas tank pretty much on empty everywhere they go. At every point, oh, you know, I almost had gas, or you don't tell anybody, and you just kind of pull into the driveway on fumes because you know whoever gets in it next ain't going to be you. That's all you care about, so you leave it in the driveway, uh, you know, for your husband to pump the gas in, or your dad to pump the gas in, hypothetically. Um, (laughs) Right? Here's the problem, guys, with that. There's a spiritual equivalent of those things. You don't know when you're going to need more battery. A lot of times you can. It's like, I got enough gas to go get my daughter from school. So you get in the car and you take off. You didn't know that you were going to get stuck on the freeway for an hour. And so you run out of gas on the shoulder of the road. You didn't plan to, but it happened that way. You don't know when you're going to need more battery. That's all right. I'm going to be home in just a little bit. I'll plug it in when I get home or whatever. But you didn't know that you were going to get caught in the lobby talking to somebody or whatever. Or your kid calls you and says, hey, can, I go, can you come pick me up over here or whatever. And so your, your battery just keeps going and it ends up out. And then you run out of gas on the freeway because you don't have any gas in your car. So now you're out of gas. You have no cell phone. You didn't expect it. It just happened. All right? So here's what I see. Just as a pastor, I've been at this, I don't know, 25 years. Two things will happen. One is people will either know that that's how they operate and will experience those brownouts. They'll go into something that is going to be immensely spiritually challenging. They get married. They get, you know, they become parents. They decide that, you know what, I think I want to I lead in ministry. Uh, they face a, a, a suffocating point of grief in their life. They lose a loved one unexpectedly, and they're just completely ill-prepared for it, spiritually. And so thank God then for the community of faith and other people. Sometimes you've got to borrow a little energy from others, you know what I mean? But at the same time, to, to not expect that, 
when our Savior looks us in the face when he's on earth and says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. And so he keeps pointing to it, pointing to the Holy Spirit and saying, there's your answer. The reason your TV doesn't run out of battery is the same reason we shouldn't either. Because we're, we've kind of, the goal is for us to have this continuous circuit of power coming from the Holy Spirit. Now, what else will happen sometimes is that people, they know because that's happened to them several times, they've short-circuited, they've browned out, they will shrink their life to fit the power supply. They just stop trying to do anything that requires much power. Uh, You know, they become, it's like the guy who doesn't want to pay big energy bills, so he moves to a cabin in the woods and, you know, cycles a bike for energy or something. You just shrink your life down to the capacity you've got. And that's so sad to do that when you have the monstrous, eternal, never-ending power supply of the Spirit that if you, had a, if you could see the vision there and if you would be willing to surrender yourself fully to the gospel You'd be shocked. You would never, you'd almost face a power surge. It almost might blow you out. But instead, what we do is sometimes is say, well, and, and a lot of times it happens unconsciously. It just happens because you've tried certain things and browned out. So now it's like, okay, well, there must not be that much power available. So you kind of just start shrinking your life. You don't take any risks anymore. You don't dedicate yourself anymore. You don't commit to anybody. You don't do anything anymore. You just kind of keep to where what you do is you create a power supply in your life that is commensurate with the lowest common denominator. And I just think that is beyond sad. I think God would go, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea what I could do with your life if you would just fully give yourself to it, to what I'm doing in the world? If you would just surrender yourself, not 80%, not with just the power you need for today, all the way. Paul has handkerchiefs healing people. That's a dude with power. The power of God going through his veins. Okay? And then you've got other people who are going around trying to pretend they're Paul. There's no pretend. God isn't fooled by us and our our attempts to access his power without doing it. So those three stories, right? You got, you got Apollos, and the moral of that is even the, the good, smart, charming, and brilliant need the Holy Spirit too. There's nothing to do with just getting and using the power of the Spirit. He's a good guy. There's nothing wrong with Apollos. He's doing some good. He's preaching good sermons, but there's something missing. He needs it too. And then there's the whole bit about seeing the the power of God and the work of Paul and his handkerchiefs dripping with miracles. See how powerful it is, and then you see how powerful the opposition can be. I mean, the stuff that we face, sisters and brothers, in the world we're living in today, I mean, I'm, I know there's been evil. You know, people have probably seen worse. But it's not great right now. Last year and a half hadn't been particularly great. Uh, We live in a world that's full of rancor, division, uh, attempts to escape 
or medicinally drown pain. And this speaks a fresh word to me that says, young man, do not, young man, I used to be a young man, I'm a middle-aged man. <laughs> uh, don't forget where the power comes from. And so in these stories that we hear, right, the, the supernatural ability that God provides people to really walk in the footsteps of Jesus in ways that change the world around us, that only really comes from that, that power source of the Holy Spirit surrender that leads to transformation, that leads to empowerment. Starts with surrender. So if you haven't done that part, that's where it starts. And surrender doesn't mean you surrender this morning and then tomorrow you don't. There's a new worship song floating around called Resurrendering. Resurrender. And that's a great concept. It's a daily act. You resurrender to Christ on a daily basis. You get up and sometimes it's a minute-to-minute basis. And you say, God, I, 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 sur- I know I surrendered to you on uh, you know, November 29, 1987. That's when I gave my life to Jesus. But you don't stop there. Okay, great, it's surrendered now. No, 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 because I've kind of taken it back so many times since then. I've lost my humility and my surrender to, to Jesus. That's something you have to keep doing over and over and over again. And guess who gives you the ability to do that? The Holy Spirit. He's the one that convicts you and goes, you know what, I kind of, I laid down on the altar at one point, but now I kind of got off and I'm running around the room or, or, or living my own way. I need to get back on the altar. Holy Spirit's the one that convicts there. Holy Spirit is the one who provides the healing and the transformation. Surrender, transformation, empowerment. We know uh, where the power lies, so we're going to pray for it at this time. We're going to do it around the Lord's table. Uh, When the church in Acts was in trouble, they went to prayer. And it was in prayer that they were renewed, re-empowered, reinvigorated. Uh, And so we're going to do that now. We're going to do it around the Lord's table with bread and cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. We do this every week at New Vintage. If you got the elements when you came in, awesome. If you didn't and you'd like some, just put your hand in the air. We have ushers that will be bringing that to you, that will be happy to bring it to you. So you just kind of do one of these things and we'll, we'll come find you. But, so I'm going to pray um, as we gather around the table that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on his church in your life and that all the fruit of the Spirit could be yours in Christ authentically. Not just calling on it or whatever, but really with hearts ablaze. Um, that we would gather around the Lord's table and remember the one who prayed and said it would be better if he went so that the Holy Spirit could come to us, the one who now dwells in us, the power of the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, with bread and cup now, we re-surrender. We confess, Lord, that we are not always people that we could be. And so, Father, we ask you now, you who loves to give good gifts to his children, that you would give us the great gift 
of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That where there is sin, you would run it out. Uh, where there is greed, you would humble. That Lord, where there is apathy, you would reignite. Where there is fear, you would put courage. Where there is fatigue, you would put strength. And so, Father, now with bread and cup, we remember the prayer of Jesus Christ, that we would be one. We remember what he taught us, that the Holy Spirit would be that which drove us until his return. So, Father, because he is with us always, because he rose from the grave and is seated at your right hand, Father, we pray in his name. Amen.